Good morning. You can uh, turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. So just go ahead and get there. Title of the message this morning is We Better Recognize. All right? We Better Recognize. I want to tell you about a book, a book that I don't want you to read. Actually, I'm not afraid for you to read it, but um, it's called The First Paul. Reclaiming the radical visionary behind the church's conservative icon. And uh, it's by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan. These guys, I don't know what's in their heart of hearts, but I don't think they're real Christians. And they are part of this thing called the Jesus Seminar. You might go to you know, CNN or Fox or MSNBC and see some special on getting to the historical Jesus. You're going to see these guys, all right? And these guys have written a lot of books. This is one of them. But I, it caught my attention because it said the first Paul. Like we're going to get behind all the other Pauls. We're going to get to the first Paul. And, you know, get to the radical visionary behind the church's conservative icon, all right? Um, so, so I was just, just looking into this book a little bit, and, and what they do in the book is they say there are three Pauls. There are three Pauls in the New Testament. The first one is the radical Paul, and he is the author of seven of the letters in the New Testament that are genuine, like that he actually wrote, okay? The, the, please, don't Right now, remember, I'm, this is not my sermon I'm preaching right now. Please do not post what I'm saying as good sermon today. Pastor said seven letters are only written by Paul. Um, they say, that's the radical Paul. That's the radical Paul. The one who actually wrote only those seven letters. And then they say, then there's the conservative Paul, who wrote three disputed epistles. And then there's the reactionary Paul, who wrote three inauthentic letters, like they weren't by him. Now, that's what they say, and they argue that these distinctions, when you make these distinctions, you are able to get to the first Paul. And it really clears up a lot of confusion around the ministry of Paul, because let's be honest, some people don't like Paul very much. They say, and I quote in the book, to see Paul positively does not mean endorsing everything he ever wrote. Right? Thank you for that encouragement. They don't recognize, but we, we better recognize. Or maybe you've heard of something called a red-letter Christian. A red-letter Christian is, um, maybe that's just, a phrase, that's just a saying, right? And maybe it's not a terrible saying just to say, like, I love Jesus. I love my Bible when it says it's Jesus talking and it's in red letters. I mean, okay, that's not terrible. I mean, why would I even have to say that? Like, that's great. But... There's actually a thing, Red Letter Christians, by these two guys, Tony Campola and Shane Claiborne. And, and, and what they say is they say, we believe all Scripture is true and inerrant, black letters and red letters. You know, it's all God's Word. They say that. But they say, we encourage you to heavily lean on and put the focus and emphasis on the red letters as their priority when you read the Bible, that's what they encourage. Not the black letters. Hello? Not Paul. And somehow, whenever they only focus on the red letters, they end up only focusing on the poor, praise God, justice issues, 
And somehow they land really far to, I guess, what we would call the left, really far left on every social issue in our day. Somehow that's where the red-letter Christians go. They don't recognize. Or maybe you and I don't recognize. Maybe you have had conversations recently with a person, and if we're honest, maybe that person is you. Where parts of the Bible, perhaps difficult passages, maybe in the Old Testament, maybe some of Paul are just difficult, and you'd rather not deal with it. Maybe some of Paul's teaching on marriage, on singleness, on masculinity, on femininity. Maybe on men and women in their roles in ministry. Maybe on sexuality. Maybe on predestination. Oh, I know Paul said that in Romans 9, but, you know, you got to get to the original context and understand all the, what his audience, and, and people only really do that to Paul. Or maybe even the exclusivity of Jesus as Paul paints this beautiful picture that Jesus also painted. I am the way, the truth, the life. That salvation for any of us is only by grace. Grace alone, through faith alone. And so maybe, maybe it's us that we struggle with Paul or we've had conversations and I know I've had many. I like Jesus I don't really like Paul, and I'm not sure what I think about the church. I love Jesus. That's not recognizing. And we better recognize. You know, in John 10, 35, Jesus himself said, Scripture cannot be broken. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Now, why do I say all this? Because I'm setting up this passage because that's the argument of this passage of Scripture. What's going on in the book of Acts, like, right, like Luke, the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, and then Acts is the sequels, part two. In the Gospel of Luke, we see the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he's doing miracles, and he's teaching, and he's being Jesus, and then he goes to the cross and dies, buried three days, is raised to glory. And that's the ministry, the cross, the resurrection, all Jesus. And the book of Acts is intended to be the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through his people, through the Holy Spirit, through his church. You see right away in the early parts of Acts that Peter is able to do some miracles that Jesus did. And what Luke is saying as he's writing Acts and he's saying that is he's saying, Peter has on him the same authority. Listen to Peter. He's an apostle. And that's what Luke is now doing here in Acts 19. He's now saying, okay, Jesus, okay, the Holy Spirit, the church, the apostles, Peter. And now he's saying, Paul, listen to him. He's an apostle. We better recognize. That's what this passage is saying to us. That is definitely the main argument of this passage. So what we see in this passage, we're going to see three points this morning. That God recognizes God's word. And when I say God's word, I mean the teaching of the apostles. I mean Paul's teaching. I mean Peter's teaching. I mean the Bible, the word of God. God recognizes God's word. That's point one. 
Point two, demons recognize God's word. And point three, the whole community in Ephesus on this day that we're going to see this morning recognizes God's word. And so, yes, in the words of Sam Sneed with Dr. Dre from 1994, we better recognize. And so let's read Acts 19, verse 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So let's look at the first point from verses 11 through 12. God, God recognizes God's word. God recognizes the teaching of the apostles. God recognizes Paul. God is, in these verses, doing that for us so that we'll see that he's doing it so that we'll do it. Does that make sense? God recognizes God's word. So look at verse 11. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So so who was doing miracles? God. Luke is very careful to say, look, the miracle worker, the miracle man, the performer of miracles, it's not Paul. It's God. God was the one doing the miracles. Let's not get confused and think, ooh, look at Paul there. No, it looks like it was all God through Paul. Now, Luke even goes out of his way to say, listen, before you read about this, because this gets a little funny, these were not just miracles. These were extraordinary miracles. All right, so these were kind of like, you know, not common. (laughs) Extraordinary and miracles. Two words to sort of differentiate these situations from normal stuff. Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So look at verse 12. What an amazing verse. There are actually a couple of verses in our passage this morning that are just going to be fun to look at. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. What? <laughs> okay. It's, uh, it's okay. You're like, all right, yeah. Share that one with your friend tomorrow at work. Um, 
handkerchiefs or aprons? Remember what Paul's job was? Do you remember a couple weeks ago, the sermon titled Paul's Real Job? He was a tent maker. So he worked long hours with Priscilla and Aquila, and, and they're making tents, and they're getting sweaty, and he's wiping sweat off of himself with handkerchiefs, sweat rags. That's what it is. And he's wearing an apron because he's in his workshop, and he's doing stuff. And, and people are like running up there, you know, like, can I get a tent? And Paul's like, let me go in the back and get you one. And he goes in the back, and they're like taking all the sweat rags off the counter. And they're like, got it. And then they're going around Ephesus, and people are getting healed because it has Paul's sweat on it. Again, extraordinary miracles. Now, just think of how crazy this is. Imagine if you started doing that at the gym. Like, you know how at the gym they give you like a, a towel or they require you to bring your own. And you're on the treadmill, right? And you put it over the side and you're running. And all of a sudden you realize it's gone. It's gone. And someone has taken your sweat rag because they believe they could get a healing from it. It's wild. And, and um, here's the thing with this. There are two extremes that we could, we could have in our response to this. One extreme would be to be anti-supernatural and just deny that that even happened. Like, no, that's, that didn't happen. And that can't happen. And I don't believe stuff like that happens. So that would be one extreme, right? Just, you know, no, no. Another extreme, though, would be, oh, that's good. Let's start a ministry like that. You know, like, let's, I, I almost, just to see what would happen, I almost ordered one time a shofar off of TV because they said that the guy had actually blown in it. So you would have, like, his, you know, spray in it when you got it in the mail. And I was thinking that, I just need to buy that to get it off the market so that people don't buy it. And then I was like, I don't want to invest in that ministry, though. So I didn't do it. But you think about, like, there are things like this. And so the two extreme reactions would be, one, just to completely deny it. And the other reaction would be to try to sort of emulate it or copy it or sort of, you know, be kind of weird about it. And you know what? We, we joke, but we do things like that. We go to the Israel and we bring home a little bit of water from the Jordan River. And we go, I got some holy water. It's kind of similar in a way. I mean, or we, you know, say, look at this. This is one of Charles Spurgeon's actual books from his library. I got it. I don't have a quiet time anymore. I just look at it. That, that's what we act like. That's what reformed people do. And it's not that different, right? And so, so before we, you know, just criticize people too much, right? We've got to own it a little bit. All right, so another thing from these verses. It's interesting. It's just, I think, worth noting. Remember, Luke is a medical doctor. And he makes the point that there were two kinds of problems that were fixed by these miracles. One is disease. The other is evil spirits being cast out of people. And I just think it's important that we recognize here that Luke, who was a doctor, is telling us that they have a distinction between these two. 
They weren't just like a bunch of poor, pitiful, not educated people in the first century that didn't know the difference. Oh, you're saying that's sickness. That's really a demon possession. Oh, you're saying everything's demon possession. That's really just the common cold. No. He's saying two different types of situations. Both were being addressed by the miraculous power of Jesus through, in this case, the hands of Paul. Now, what would be the right reaction to this? What's the reaction that we're intended to have to this? Not one of those extremes, right? I believe that it is that we accept that God's word is saying this happened and that it was an extraordinary situation and that we understand the unique purpose of it, which was to say the Apostle Paul and what his ministry was about and the gospel that he was teaching was anointed by the true and real God of the Bible. Recognize this. That's the meaning. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. These miracles were intended to be signs that pointed to the teaching ministry and said, recognize this. This is the truth. Think about signs that point to and validate ministry and think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ultimate miracle and sign which points to Jesus and says, consider this Jesus who said he would die and rise again and did it and lives and rules and reigns. And so God recognizes God's word. That's the purpose of these extraordinary miracles and Luke recording it and telling us about it. And that's the first point. The second point, again, we better recognize, number two, demons recognize God's word. Demons recognize God's word. Now, verse 13 says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. John Stott says, this is a power encounter of Jesus with the kingdom of Satan. Think about what's happening here. Think about the contrast between what we're seeing in these verses and what we just saw with the first two verses. The difference is God used Paul. And here we have people trying to use God. Being used by God or trying to use God. What a contrast. What a relevant contrast to today. You know, this passage really shows the futility of Christians living in engaging with a worldliness and a superstition using Jesus' name as some kind of magic spell in an incantation, as some sort of prayer trump card in Jesus' name. 
invoking Jesus' name without actually knowing Jesus. That's a problem. That's a painful problem, as we're about to see. So he says that many were doing this. These itinerant you know, people were doing it. Jewish exorcist. And then he says, let's focus in on some specific ones. And he says in verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. All right. So this, it's mentioned here that these are the seven sons of one of the, one of the priests, one of the, the leaders of the Jews. And you know Luke is here trying to say, okay, listen, this is just another situation where the church, where Christianity is more powerful, more authentic, more true, more with God's hand on it than Jews that were not embracing Christ. But he says these seven sons of the Jewish high priest. Now, I uh, just think about this. Like, okay, like this is interesting. Um, so there, this guy had seven sons. That's pretty cool. And his name was Siva, and they were called the seven sons of Siva. This sounds like, I mean, I'm pretty sure if we looked into it, they probably had like a, a trapeze act, you know, in like the Ephesus circus. Um, they for sure were an acapella group as well. Um, and, you know, like th- this is insane. Like, what, who are these guys? And seven sons, they're all in it together. They're all Jewish exorcists. They're dads a high priest. And, you know, probably people knew who they were. That's why the Bible mentions them. And they were probably respected until this. And so, so they're doing this. In verse 15, the evil spirit answered them. <laughs> and he said, Jesus, I know. Paul I recognize, again, we better recognize. He's like, but who are you? What, what, a, what an amazing verse in the Bible. You could, you, we could have titled this sermon, Who Are You? <laughs> or does, does Satan know your name? You know, I mean, what a verse. Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but it's like trash talk. Who are you guys? The Bible has a lot of humor in it. And this is one of those passages. There's a few. This is one. I mean, and they're kind of like, we're the seven sons of Siva. Did you see our banner? Like, and, and the man then leaps on them, masters all of them which I can only picture as, you know, like this is like a UFC fight. Like this is headlocks, submission holds. I mean, they, they got mastered, all of them. This is a physical altercation, overpowered them. They lost this fight so bad. Do you see? They fled out of that house naked and wounded. I, you know, this is a crazy story in the Bible. The, the, what you study at church today, we studied the passage where uh, some guys got beat up and they had to run out of the house naked after getting beat up. That's what we studied. Um, yeah, it's really wild. And, you know, it, it made me think this week about James chapter 2, verse 19, which talks about, you know, when people are saying, 
um, faith without works is, is dead. James is saying that. And he says, some people say, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works. And he's talking about faith and works. And he just says, look, you have to have both. You can't just have faith. You have to have works. He says, you believe your faith that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe that, though. And they shudder. You see, demons recognize Paul, (laughs) recognize the teaching of the apostles, recognize God's word. Do we? That's a good challenge. We better recognize. And the third point this morning, from verses 17 through 20, the community recognizes God's word. What? These are some beautiful verses where we see a great revival break out in Ephesus under Paul's ministry. Now, remember before this, we saw in our passage last week that because I don't want us to think that the things that happen in verses 17 through 20 just like happen one morning. I mean, God could do that. But remember in the previous verses that Paul and his ministry, they rented out the hall of Tyrannus and they were preaching the word daily for two years, sowing seed in faithfulness, making tents, working long hours, still serving, still working, still teaching, sowing, laboring, sweating, so much sweat that there were a lot of sweat rags, that people were getting healed. That's how this was going down. And that's the kind of work, the kind of faithfulness to labor in the word, the kind of long hours, the kind of fervency, the kind of commitment that leads to revival that we see here. And I think it's key that we do see that. Now, verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so what we see here is the community recognizing God's word. But Luke is going to break the community down in sectors. And so the first sector, verse 17, is all residents of this great city of Ephesus. He says, listen, the entire city had this response. Fear. They heard about the story of some some guys. It's not even necessarily a story about what Paul did. It's a story about when some people tried to fake and be like Paul fraudulently and got a total beat down from a demon who said, I recognize Paul. And I know Jesus higher than Paul. And that story spread. The seven sons of Siva must have, you know, been pretty tough because the story of them getting beat up like this spread and it caused every resident in Ephesus to have a response of fear and have a response of the name of Jesus being lifted up high. PR for Jesus was good. People were afraid to mess with God, to trifle with the holy God. All right, so that's the first sector, all the residents. Verse 18 then gets into a smaller group of people, which is those who were Christians. Look at verse 18. Also, many of those who are now believers. So this this is the Christian community in Ephesus. They came. What did they do? Do you see verse 18? Confessing 
confessing. That word means to agree. To agree with God that the practice that I'm convicted about right now is sin. I agree with you, Lord. This is sin. That's confession. So they were confessing, and they were, do you see, divulging their practices. They were letting go of things that they did formally. Now they're Christians. They're confessing and they're repenting. They're turning in another direction. Specific ways, surely, that they were repenting, but we're not given those ways. Verse 18 is the Christian community confessing and divulging their practices. It could be any practice, really, that someone formerly had. Now they're a Christian. Now they recognize the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. They now recognize the word of God. And so they're confessing and they're changing. And that's what we're to do as Christians. And it's actually helpful that verse 18 doesn't name this, this, this practice, this practice, this practice, because it leaves it open for us to let the Spirit work in our lives. What is it in our lives? That we should confess and divulge. Verse 19 is now a more narrow sector, okay? So we're going from the broadest to the narrowest. Now this is from among the Christians, there were some of them who used to practice magical arts. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, verse 19, we have a book-burning ceremony in the Bible. But what's different about it from maybe what we often think of, you know, maybe you've heard of that before. Maybe you thought, you know, I wouldn't mind participating in one of those. We get all worked up, right? We're like, oh, the public schools. You know, they're trying to push, you know, CRT, and they're trying to push liberal stuff, and they're trying to make people get things in their minds and look like we should be concerned, for real. But we're like, let's go get their books. Let's go, hey, when we're having the Ligon Christmas dinner, let's send a covert operation into the media center. And let's get all their books. And let's come back to Fellowship Raleigh. We'll have a fire pit. We'll have a book-burning ceremony. And like, that's what we think of when we think of book-burning ceremonies. But, but that's not what's happening here. And it's important that we see the difference because what's happening here, people are burning their books. People are burning books that they once paid for that they once thought, ooh, I'd really like to get that one. I really believe if I got that one, if I had that one, it would help me do this and this and this and be this. And they're like, you know what? But now, but now that I have Christ, now that I have this book, now that I have a relationship with God through Jesus, that that thing that I used to think was valuable, I actually now think that's a liability. And I'm not just going to put it in the garage. I'm going to go burn it 
so that no one else gets it, so that it can be, as the smoke rises to heaven, a worship offering to the Lord of my dedication and my commitment to him. The amount of value Luke, he's, again, a doctor, he's educated, he likes to think about numbers. He says 50,000 pieces of silver today, that would be $5.5 million. This was revival. This was a whole city, you know, letting go of idols. This was the church purging itself of filth and saying, I want to get serious about the Lord. And what happens when the church does that? I'm asking, what happens? Answer, verse 20. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so just as as we close, I want to give some personal application. I have two things. I have two things. I invite the uh, music team to come back up, at least uh, Josh, come on. And as we close, let me just say, we talked at first about red-letter Christians. And you know what? I think, I think our goal this morning is to, to just be Christians. Just be Christians who recognize Jesus and his word. All right? So the first personal application would be this. I just want to ask you. Is there an area of your life where you know that a part of Scripture is calling you into a greater obedience, but you have been not recognizing the authority of God's word fully in that area? Will you surrender today to the Lord in that area? Another personal application. Is there a personal possession, a habit, or practice, which at one time was of great value to you, yet the Lord might have you decisively get rid of that? Scripture says, put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body that you might live. You say, well, I, I, I've been wrestling with that, but I don't know if it's actually wrong. It might not really be a sin. And, but is the Spirit convicting you? That's what matters. An area where there's the Spirit's conviction that God might be leading you to have a, I wouldn't do a burning ceremony, but a decisive turning away from something and recognizing that Jesus is superior and that he is better than that. We better recognize. Let's pray. I want to close in prayer.